You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. I'm the lead pastor here at Hill City Church, and I'm so excited uh, to be here. I'm excited to be here because I'm uh, really excited about this science teaching series. Anyone else been enjoying this teaching series? So far, we are looking at these seven signs, these seven miracles of Jesus from the Gospel of John. In fact, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 5 today, okay? So you can go ahead and and turn there. You can keep a bookmark there for just a moment. But really, I'm excited to be here today because I wasn't sure I was going to be here. I've been sick all week this week. Been in bed sick almost the entire uh, week. Last weekend, I was up at winter camp with our junior high and high school students, and such a joy to be up there with them. But one thing about students, they get sick, right? They carry a bunch of diseases, and I'm not saying that we have a bunch of disease students. I have I have three little girls as well, and uh, two of my daughters also got sick. Uh, this week, and so it was hit or miss whether I was going to be actually, so I'm just giving you a disclaimer here, so you're welcome to shake my hand today, but you don't have to, and if you do, you should probably use hand sanitizer, uh, but when, the thing about when, you, when, you, when there's a physical need in your life, when you, when you have uh, a sickness or uh, something wrong with your body, with your health, it's really difficult to think about anything else, isn't it? Like, it's just kind of, even something very, like, even think of something, maybe the most small problem like a splinter, right? Where it's like, it just, it's like consumes everything that you're thinking about. And yet, when we look at these miracles, many of these miracles that Jesus performs are miracles of healing. They're miracles where Jesus heals a physical ailment, a physical disease. And yet, what we're going to see today is if that's all we get from Jesus, or I would say if that's all we're looking for from Jesus, then in fact we're missing out on the greater work that God wants to do in our lives. As I was laying in bed literally sick this week, I couldn't help but think about Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 9 verse 12. He says this, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And if you remember what's happening in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is just called Matthew the tax collector, who is, you know, that's kind of a profession that's notorious for being sinful. And he calls him to be one of his disciples, and Matthew is so ecstatic about this that he throws a party for all of his other sinful buddies, And he has this party, and then the religious people come along, and they're frustrated with Jesus for spending time with the sinners. And this is Jesus' response. Now, is Jesus talking about literal sickness right here? No. He's talking about the sickness caused by sin in our lives. He's saying, listen, these are the people, the tax collectors, the sinners, the notorious bad people. These are the ones who actually need a doctor. They actually need a deeper kind of healing than just a physical healing. They need a spiritual healing. And I was thinking there's really two things that get in the way of us experiencing the spiritual healing that God has for us. The first thing is thinking we're fine when we're not. Does that make sense? 
Like it's really difficult to treat something that you haven't had diagnosed, to actually think that you're totally fine. And maybe other people around you even start to notice like, that seems off, you know, like, is it supposed to look like that or you're supposed to be like that? But if you don't know that you need help, then you're never going to actually seek that help. And that's the problem that Jesus is actually addressing with these religious leaders. The, the great irony of that situation is they need Jesus too, don't they? They just don't think that they do. And, and, and yet, I just think about all of, you know, for us in our lives, every single one of us, we need Jesus. Whether you're here and you've never set foot in a church a day in your life, or you're, you're here and you've been raised, born and raised in the church, I just think about Paul's words in Philippians 3.8, that he counts everything else as lost con- uh, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Amen? That we need Jesus. And the second thing that gets in the way of us experiencing that deeper healing that God wants to give us is the idea of refusing help. Maybe you're at the point today where you know that you need God. You know that you're, there's, there's spiritual sickness. There's, there's, some, there's something wrong inside of you. But like I said, this last week, uh, two of my daughters also got sick. And children's medicine has come a long way, hasn't it? It's come a long way. Like, they, they fill that stuff. They, like, use cartoon characters now and put a bunch of sugar in there, and I'm like, why can't I get a little bit of that medicine, right? When I was a kid, it was like, I dread, you know, it was like terrible, <laughs> you know, like they made the medicine bad so that you didn't get addicted to it or something, but, um, but my kids, even though like as delicious as like the grape and cherry or all the different flavors that it has, when they're really, really sick and they need to take that medicine the most, there's this, this tendency that happens where you get the cup of medicine, it's like, all right, you just have to drink this tiny, it's like, it's sugar, I promise you, this is a candy, you know, this is candy, that they don't want to take it, and there's kicking, and there's screaming, and it's just like, and it's like heartbreaking as a parent to try to convince your child, like, I'm not trying to give you something to harm you, I'm trying to give you something to help you. And I just think about that, that the work that God wants to do in your life by His Word and His Spirit, sometimes we, we refuse that help because being convicted of our sins doesn't always feel great, does it? Being confronted with ways that we still need to grow, that, we still, that we're still not all the way there yet, that we're still a work in progress, it's not always comfortable. And yet, I would just want to encourage your heart this morning, would you stop refusing God's help? Would we be open to what God has to say for us today? Will you do that for me? All right, John chapter 5, are you there? John chapter 5, we're going to cover 18 verses today, so let's get, let's get to it. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man who who had been there as an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now, um, in most modern English translations, 
uh, we're missing a verse. Anyone catch that? Verse number four is omitted, uh, and that's because really, you know, textual scholarship has come a long way, and you look at all the original manuscript evidence, and it's just not there in all the best early manuscripts. But if you have maybe one of the older translations, you might read through verse four, and essentially what it says is there was a belief, this is why there's all of these sick people surrounding this pool, there was a belief that an angel would come and stir the waters, and that the first one who would enter into the waters after the angel, you know, stirred up the waters, which would, like, this is just a kind of a superstitious belief, okay? So it was probably just like the wind or something like that, you know, where the water would be agitated and all of these sick people would, like, you know, fight over one another because the first one in the waters was said to be healed. Does that make sense? And so here's what this really demonstrates, that this congregation of all of these people who are, like, physically helpless and hopeless, right? They're, again, they're fixated. That's all they can think about is, I just need help. I just need healing. What is their hope ultimately in? Their hope is ultimately in the water. I went to Albertsons and picked up this with my own money today. It's called Life Water. And I was, th- I was like, I was just thinking about this. The wellness industry is, a, is over a trillion-dollar industry every year. And this is a lot. Maybe you've had, and I'm not here to knock. If this is your favorite bottle of water, that's totally fine. Life water is the evolution of water, perfected to help you thrive. Just like a plant soaks up water, life water hydrates your whole body the way nature intended. Our seven-step enhanced filtration process removes impurities to create pristine water, then add a balanced blend of electrolytes for a pure taste so your body can easily drink in the refreshing hydration and thrive. (laughs) That's what this is. Or in other words, this is just, it's just water, okay? It's a bottle of water. It's marketing, you know, and so there, I, just, I was just thinking about this idea of, of wellness and all that we do, you know, to like, you know, get the, the electrolytes and the reverse osmosis and the balanced pH and all of that sort of stuff. And you just think about it, that these people, multitudes, are just looking at this pool just gazing upon the water, waiting for this really probably a pagan belief, some kind of syncretism. It's essentially a belief in magic water. That if only, you know, they're waiting for the water to actually do something. And Jesus walks through this crowd and he sees this man who perhaps has been there longer than anyone else. 38 years is a long time to be sick. It's a long time to not be able to walk. We don't know his backstory. We don't know if he had an accident. We don't know if he has a spinal cord injury. We don't know, we don't know why he can't walk. But he's been there for 38 years waiting on magic water to heal him. And it's let him down every day that entire time. And so Jesus asks him this really interesting question. He says, do you want to be healed. Does this seem like a trick question? I mean, it seems obvious, the answer, right? It's like if I, like, yeah, I mean, I'm here. Like, that's why I want 
to be healed. And the word for healed is hugies. It's where we get the word hygiene from. And here's a few other ways that that word can be interpreted. It can be interpreted as well or sound or whole. It's the idea that there's something missing. There's a missing piece. And Jesus is, is essentially asking the question, what are you looking for? I don't want to pause and just ask you that question. What are you looking for in life to complete you? What's that missing piece? I mean, it's silly, like magic water, right? It's like, it's probably not that. But what are the things that you're looking for? That you, you have that sense of, man, once I have this, then I'll be fulfilled. Then I'll be happy. Once I have a house, once I get that job, once I get that degree, once I'm in that relationship, once I'm married, once we have kids, once I meet these goals, once I get that dollar amount, once I have this safety, like once I fill in the blank, once God finally answers this prayer, then I will be complete, whole, well. And I just think that that is the essence of this world, isn't it? Everyone is looking for wellness. They're looking for completion. They're looking for something to fill the missing piece of their heart. But we know the truth, that our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. I think of Jeremiah's words from Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have committed two evils, says the Lord. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You see the irony here that this man has been looking to the water his whole life for healing, And it's evidence. In fact, you could say like it's the definition of insanity to keep looking to a broken cistern, to keep licking for looking for this superstition to heal you for the next thing when you know it hasn't satisfied yet, so much so that he's unable to recognize the living water that's standing right in front of him named Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you, you don't have to spend 38 years still looking for that thing to leave you dry. Stop looking to broken cisterns and start looking to Jesus as the source of living water today. Let's see how this man answers Jesus in John 5, verse 7. And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up. Take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So Jesus heals this man, notably without the water. Do you see that? Now there are other moments, like Jesus heals people in many different ways. There are other moments where Jesus tells someone, go wash in the water, go use this, or go use that, right? He has a specific reason for how he does things. And here, I think very specifically, Jesus wants to make this clear, not just to this man, but to all who are waiting on the magic water to say, I have the power to heal you apart from the thing that you're looking for healing from. 
He just simply says the word. He gives the command. And as we're going to notice as we continue throughout this series, when Jesus does a miracle, there's often a piece of obedience in there, isn't there? And so he, command, he gives this command, and the man has a choice. Am I going to at least, you know, like, try? Am I going to try to get up and walk? And to his credit, he does. The man gets up, he stands up, he takes up his mat, and he walks. And in this moment, you'll be surprised what happens even in a moment interaction with the actual resurrected Savior. He could change everything about you. He can change your whole story. He can change your entire life. And his, his identity changes. Check this out. He goes from being known in the story as the sick man to the man who had been healed. Isn't that beautiful? That his, like, his label changes. And there's maybe labels that you've lived with your whole life. Things that people call you or they, they tell you. And I'm just here to tell you, Stop living into the labels that people have given you and, and live into the labels that God has given you, right? And he, he changes. And one like, simple detail of this uh, command from Jesus is he not only says, get up and walk, he says, get up and pick up your what? Pick up your bed and walk. Now, isn't that a little bit interesting? It's interesting. Like, there, there are other moments, right, where where maybe Jesus heals someone and they, they kind of leave their past behind or they leave those things behind. But it's interesting that this is the bed. Like think of actual like a cot. Very likely this is how this guy has gotten around for the last 38 years. Where if he could find someone to carry him, they would carry him on this bed, like a stretcher almost, right? And so this bed that's carried him for over three decades is now the thing that Jesus says, you will now carry with you. This is a great opportunity to witness, isn't it? I mean, imagine that. You see this guy later. You're like, dude, why are you still carrying that bed around? That thing stinks. 38 years? That's a long time to be laying on something. Why you carry that bed around? Like, imagine the opportunity to witness for the gospel that this man now has with his story. He's like, I'm carrying this bed around because I met a man once who told me to pick up this bed. This is a man who changed my life. This is a man who in a moment, I was, I was waiting on that magic water and this man, he just gave the word and I was healed. For 38 years, I couldn't get out of this bed. This, I was bound to this bed. I was a slave to this bed. And, a, and I met a man and he healed me in a moment. And he told me to take this bed with me. And guess what? I ain't ever setting this bed down. This is my story. This is my song. I want to be singing it all the day long, right? And this is, this is an opportunity that this man has to tell his testimony, or at least it should be. We're going to find out in just a moment that I'm not all that convinced that this man, other than getting his miracle, really gets Jesus at all. But think about you for a moment. Do you have those things in your life? that maybe used to have power over you, that God has given you victory, that God has given you freedom? Are you carrying those things with you so that you can share those things? Are you, are you using those things as an opportunity to witness for the gospel? See, the reality is 
Every follower of Jesus has a story. And your story of what God has done in your life is one of the most powerful things that you can use to proclaim the goodness of the gospel to this world. Because you're not, you're not having to debate theology. Like, nobody needs to debate your story. It's your story. You own it, right? And you just share it. You share the good news of what, what Jesus has done for you. Has he freed you? Has he given you victory? Has he healed you? Has he, has he given you fruit in your life? Has he worked in your life? Has he answered your prayers? And if, any, if, if there's anything, why aren't you telling somebody about that? We've got to share our story. These are our stories. These are our songs. We have to proclaim the goodness of the kingdom because here's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to convince you you don't have a story, at least not a good one at least not a flashy one, at least not a powerful one. And I just have to tell you, that is not from the Lord. That is straight from the enemy. You have a story, and somebody needs to hear your story this week. If God has done something in our life, look at this man. His entire life has literally been changed. And he has an opportunity to be a witness for the Messiah. And yet, as we're going to see in just a moment, he totally squanders it. Look at John chapter 5, verse 10. There's a problem here. The problem is that this all took place on the day of the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now, this is puzzling to me. First of all, it's on the Sabbath, right? This is, if you're not familiar with what that means, it's one of the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth out of the Ten Commandments, okay? To keep, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. It was meant to be a Jewish day of rest and worship. And so there were certain rules, and depending on kind of what school you followed, there was like more strict rules or more loose rules. And this is one of five occasions recorded in the New Testament where Jesus allegedly broke the Sabbath. Now, I say allegedly because I don't believe Jesus ever sinned. Do you? You have to be careful with this, right? Jesus broke people's perceptions of what he should or should not do on the Sabbath according to their traditions and their regulations. And yet in another uh, instance, in Matthew chapter 12, this is how Jesus describes it when he's being accused of breaking the Sabbath. It says, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Essentially what Jesus is saying is, like, I'm the one who, like, wrote the rules for the original rules. You're telling me I'm not following the rules right, but I'm the one who wrote the rules, and I'm, he's like, you want to know how to keep the Sabbath? You should look at how I keep the Sabbath, and that's how you should keep the Sabbath. Does that make sense? That's what he means when he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He's like, proper Sabbath keeping is found in Jesus. And so we have to be really careful when we're like, oh, Jesus went around all, breaking all the Old Testament laws. Like, whoa, we got to be really careful with accusing Jesus of stuff like that, okay? But that's, that's a side note. I don't want to get stuck on the Sabbath thing because is that the point of the story? No, the point of the story, we've we got to talk about this, this, this 
lame man, okay? Notice what he does. He's questioned about carrying his mat on the Sabbath. This is a prime, what did we just talk about? A prime opportunity to witness for the Messiah. True? He's got his mat. He, he at least is carrying it around. But then there's a problem. One of the regulations, you're not supposed to carry your mat around. Right? So now he's in trouble with the Jewish leaders because, oh, it's too much work to carry my mat. Anyways, so he's carrying his mat around and he's questioned about it. This is an opportunity to share about the miracle. He doesn't share about the miracle at all. What does he say? That man told me to do it. He blames Jesus. Okay, strike one. Okay, you keeping track? Strike one. He blames Jesus. Well, then they're like, well, what man? He's like, well, I don't even know. What? He literally has changed your life. And you didn't stick around to even say thank you? To even find out his name? You, just, you got your drive-by miracle and you walked away? Strike two. Okay, man. And then, later on, Jesus finds him and Jesus, he, he doesn't, he gives him a sober warning. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen. We're going to talk about this in just a second, okay? And after Jesus comes and finds him, he doesn't go find Jesus. After Jesus comes and finds him a second time, where did, what does he do with that information? He goes straight back to Jesus' religious enemies and he turns Jesus in. Strike three. Seriously! You've just betrayed the one who saved you? I'm looking at this guy and I'm just like, you couldn't, I'm like, there's other miracles where people are, are in the same kind of situation, right? In scripture where they're paralyzed and they experience a miracle. I think about the man that Peter healed in the name of Jesus in Acts chapter 3. This is how he responds, okay? Look at this. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. That's the kind of miracle guy I want to be. He's praising God. He's like, can I join you guys? You guys are going into the temple to pray. I'm going to join you. Why don't I pray as well? You know what? Let's sing some worship songs. And he goes in with them, and he's leaping, and he's praising God. Not this guy in John chapter 5. Here's the point. You can get a miracle, but miss the Messiah. Do you know that? You can get a miracle. You can get your prayer answered from God. You can, get, you, you can even experience God moving in your life, but you can still totally miss the Messiah. You can totally miss God's presence in your life, experiencing a, a, a saving relationship with God. And I think about this so much, that we care so much about getting the things we want from God that I fear sometimes we actually miss God himself. We miss a relationship with God himself. And I'm not here to kind of, uh, to, to kind of downplay the idea of maybe you do need God to move in your life. You do, you're desperate for God and keep praying about those things. But don't miss a relationship with God himself. Because remember what these signs are meant to be? They're not meant to be the end in and of themselves. They're meant to point to something, and I would say to someone beyond themselves. 
And so this is why this, is, this all makes sense, why Jesus gives this man a warning at the end of the inter- interaction. He tells this man, you still need to repent. You got your miracle. That's amazing. You still need to go and sin no more that something worse won't happen to you. This is a little bit crazy. It's a little bit like foreboding, isn't it, from Jesus? Kind of spooky. And we have to be careful, by the way, about assuming that everything bad that happens to us is some kind of form of divine retribution or judgment. Or, that, was, that was a common belief um, that Jesus actually addresses in John chapter 9 when he talks about the man who was born blind. And the disciples say, who, well, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus essentially says, no, neither one. And yet, what this speaks to is the fact that, again, you can, you can experience God move in your life a little bit, but unless you repent and give your whole life over to God, you're still missing the greater work that God wants to do in your life. And Jesus says that something worse may happen to you. I mean, what's worse than 38 years paralyzed, a life of hopelessness, a life of poverty, a life with no hope? I don't know, all of eternity without hope, separated from God's presence and His goodness for all eternity. And so here's the point, that sin always has consequences, whether the consequences in this life or consequences in the age to come. And as you think about the seriousness of this man, to, to have rejected Jesus after personally experiencing, not only witnessing, but personally experiencing such great a miracle, that invites a stricter judgment from God, doesn't it? And, and so I just, let's look at this guy's example as a warning for us in our lives. We're going to keep praying for God to do miracles. We're going to keep praying for God to move in our lives. But let's be people who don't miss the Messiah in the midst of it. Let's see how the story resolves here in verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so Jesus is quite quite plain about this when he's talking about God is always working, I'm working, I'm this is my father, and it's it's one of his many claims to be equal with God. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And yet the greater work that we've been talking about this whole time is the work that Jesus eventually would accomplish through his death, burial, and resurrection. Through living a perfect life that we could never attain to, and then dying a sinner's death on the cross in our place, and on the third day, rising back to life. And I'm here to tell you, whether whether you're kind of so caught up in the the, the pressing needs or the physical needs of your day-to-day life and the things you need God to do, if you've never receive the good news of the gospel by God's grace through faith, that is your number one need in your life, to know Christ Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Amen? And he invites us, 
Instead of this man, he doesn't invite him down into the waters. Jesus invites us down into the waters of baptism, doesn't he? He invites us to surrender our lives fully to him in the waters of baptism. But similarly, there's nothing magic about the waters of baptism. Look at what Peter writes in 1 Peter 3.21. He says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Peter says that, that baptism is not about a bath. It's not about the removal of, of dirt from the body. It's not about the physical, there's nothing physically magic about the water. There's an internal reality where a person appeals to God for a good conscience, essentially where a person gives their life over to God. There's a commitment that you're making. But the power comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power comes from the work that Jesus has done on your behalf in the gospel and the work that God is doing in your life right now. And I just want to invite you, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus through baptism, I want to invite you to be baptized. We had three baptisms up in McCall uh, last week uh, at winter camp. There's Anna who got baptized right there. And, uh, and that's kind of blurry, but Miles got baptized as well. We can, we can celebrate Miles. We actually have uh, a baptism scheduled for next service. And I would just encourage you, like even today, if you feel God stirring in your heart and, uh, and you want to, uh, maybe you didn't bring an extra change of clothes. I didn't either, okay? Well, we'll, we'll figure it out. We've got plenty of towels here. And, uh, and I just want to encourage you to take that step and to experience the greater work that God has for you. But for many of us, maybe you, you've already given, you surrendered your life to Jesus. And for you, I just kind of want to speak to this idea that the real tragedy of this story is that for the first time in 38 years, this man can finally use his legs, but he doesn't use them to follow Jesus. If you read through the story of blind Bartimaeus, he's healed of his blindness, and Jesus tells him, there's this really interesting detail at the end of that story, where he's healed of his blindness, and Jesus says, now you're free to go, and Bartimaeus doesn't go, he follows Jesus along the way. He uses his eyesight to follow Jesus. And for this man, he's got feet that they finally work. And so here's the point for us. Would you get up and walk with God? Would you, right now, actually, let's go ahead and everyone stand to your feet. You, like, if you can, use your feet right now. Would you get, there you go. Would you get up and would you walk with, I'm going to have you stand for the last minute of my sermon, okay? You might be like, wait, is he done yet? I'll be done in a moment, okay? Would you walk by the Holy Spirit this week? Like, think about, like, even, like, just think about the action of, like, step by step by step this week. Would you walk where the Holy Spirit is calling you? Would you turn, if you need to, and repent from sin in your life? If there's, if there's sin that is still active, that has a hold on you in your life, by the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit, would you turn from those things? You know that's an action you could do with your feet. You turn. And would you go into the world equipped with the, the, 
the readiness of the gospel of peace strapped upon your, your feet this week. Sharing the good news of Jesus, sharing your story, sharing your song, and sharing the goodness of what God has done in your life. Church, would we be a church that we get up each day this week and we walk with God into all that He has for us? Amen. Let's worship our God. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.